As they're coming around this morning, would you find uh, your place in God's Word? We're going to be in Esther chapter 5. I want to give you plenty of time to find Esther. Not uh, the most common of books of the Bible. So if you find Psalms, kind of go back to the left a little bit. You'll go by Job and somewhere right in there you'll find Esther. So I'm going to give you some time to to find Esther chapter 5. And as you're turning there... um, We've taken some time these last few weeks to talk about emotions, some, some what we've been calling messy emotions, and uh, we've talked about anger and anxiety, and today we're going to talk about envy. So these emotions, what we've said is that they're warning signals, like smoke coming up from a fire. It's, it's signals t- trying to tell you that, there, hey, there's a problem. So if you're at home and the smoke alarm in your house begins to go off and you turn around and you look and there's smoke kind of coming down from the hallway, you, you don't say, ah, no big deal. And you don't say, well, I bet it smokes in the neighbor's house too. <laughs> you, don't, you don't respond that way. When, when smoke signals and alarms begin going off, we don't ignore them. We actually um, see what's going on. We get to the bottom of it. So... Uh, A couple of weeks ago, we talked about anger, and what we said is that when you get angry and you dig to the bottom of your anger, what you discover is that your anger always reveals what you love. We talked about how the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. So the conclusion we came up to is is that uh, anger in itself is not a sin, but it helps to show us if our loves are right or not. Also, receiving the grace of Jesus empowers us to be angry and not sin. When, when you've received His loving forgiveness, that's how you can extend it to those who've hurt you. We talked about anxiety, and uh, there's a whole lot here to talk about, but um, what we discussed last time was that anxiety helps you to see who you trust, who you trust. So if you're trusting in yourself, you're going to have stress. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to be worried and concerned. What we said is that you can have control. So if you want to take control of your life, you can have control, but you won't have peace. So you can have control or you can have peace, but you can't have both. Last week from Matthew chapter 6, we saw how Jesus comforts us in our worry. How Jesus consoles our temporary worries our earthly stuff, and how Jesus conquers eternally our worries. Today we're going to look at the emotion of envy. I'm going to give you my goal from the beginning. My goal today is to help you see that this is a problem for all of us, first of all. And then secondly, I want to identify uh, the ugly roots and the even uglier fruit of envy. And then thirdly, I want to point us to Jesus for our hope of salvation. That sound like a good plan? So I want to talk about how we all struggle here. I want to identify the root and the fruit, so the, the cause and the effects of our struggle with envy. And then I want to point us to Christ for hope for freedom. Okay? So uh, before we stand and read from Esther 5, I want you to look at this proverb with me. I'm going to put it on the screen, I hope. Proverbs 14.30. Um, Can we just read this aloud together? All the children in the room, if you're reading, would you read with us what you see on the screen? Okay, ready? A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. All right, let's do it one more time. Ready? A heart of peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. What we see from this text is that peace 
and envy are put in opposition to each other. They're, they're not working together. We see that peace brings life, but envy rots our bones, rots us in the deepest part of who we are. So I want to define envy for us in two broad sweeping statements, okay? So two statements to, to just help us define envy. Here they are. Envy resents God's goodness to others. Envy resents God's goodness. So that means envy doesn't like it when God blesses someone else. Envy resents God's goodness to others. And then secondly, envy ignores God's goodness to me. So these two things work in tandem with each other. When, when God's blessing someone next to you, you, if you're envious, you say, why is he blessing them? I wish he'd bless me. That's resenting God's goodness to another. And then the second part of it is you're blind to see how he has been blessing you. You can't see it. The fog of envy has blinded your vision from seeing that God is blessing you. Um, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, it's a great book to talk about envy, but chapter 4, he talks about envy as a chasing after the wind. And what he says in verse 6 is, better is one handful. Everybody say one handful. handful. Better is one handful than two handfuls with chasing after the wind. So Solomon talks about when, when you got one, but all you want is two, that envious pursuit is like chasing after the wind. That imagery is pretty powerful because the wind is something you'll never catch and it'll always outrun you. So it's this kind of imagery of chasing something that you're never going to get. And that's the thing with envy is that it always leaves you unsatisfied. Envy is not about how much, it's always about more. Everybody say that. Envy is not about how much, it's always about more. That's the thing about envy is it's never satisfied. But what Solomon teaches us is that one handful is better. One handful with peace is better than two handfuls with chasing the wind. What he's teaching us is that um, less is actually more when less equals peace. Does that make sense? Less is actually more when less equals peace. So these are some wise thoughts from uh, Solomon and from the Proverbs. But let me set us up for our reading in Esther chapter 5. Let me tell you what's going on here. Just quickly. Um, the king promoted a guy named Haman. A man named Haman was promoted to be the highest official in the land right under the king. And uh, everyone in the land was actually supposed to bow down and honor him when he came by. Well, for a Jew named Mordecai, that was unacceptable. Um, Mordecai, as a Jew, he, he quietly refused. Didn't make a scene, didn't make it ugly, but he just quietly refused to bow down in homage to Haman. Well, Haman was infuriated that Mordecai refused to bow to him. He was furious and he developed a plan not just to kill Mordecai, but to kill all of Mordecai's people. Haman develops a plan that's going to annihilate all of the Jews. And he's trying to use the king to bring his plan about. Well, the twist to the story 
is that Esther, for whom, for whom the book is named, is actually the king's new queen. And guess what? She is a Jew. So the twist of the story is that Haman's envy, his desire for more power and actually the worship of people, his, his envy brings him into a plot of trouble. It's a, it's a big problem. His evil plan is about to blow up in his face. But that's not going to be our focus today. What I want us to see is Haman's heart. Because I think in his heart we can find ourselves. I want us to focus in and see how... Uh, Haman's insatiable envy cultivated hatred. So, would you stand with me all across the room? We stand in honor of God's Word. So, children, would you stand with us too? All the kids in the room, if you can, stand. And we're going to read from God's Word together. Alright? Esther chapter 5, let's read from verse 9. The Bible says, And Haman went out that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above all the officials and the servants of the king. But then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast that she has prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. Yet, verse 13, all this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows 50 cubits high be made. And in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. And this idea pleased Haman. And he had the gallows made. Let's pray. Father... This morning, we pray that you use this text to open our eyes to see our own hearts. To see the sin that's deep embedded in us, that we struggle with envy. God, help us to see um, the roots of it and how it's causing all kinds of damage in our relationships and in our own heart. And then, Lord, our ultimate desire today is that you point us to Jesus, to show us that Jesus is enough. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, wow, what a roller coaster of emotion when we talk about Haman. In in verse 9, it says, Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. That's how it begins. And then all it took for Haman was to see this one dude that won't rise up and, and or won't bow down and honor him. One man is able to ruin everything. He even goes through a list of all the blessings in his life. Haman recounted them, the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, the promotions, all these things. He blesses them, but then he says, yet all that is worthless. If I don't get him to bow down to me, everything else is worthless. Well, that's the story. That's the story of all of our hearts when Christ is not the center 
No matter what He's done, it's never enough. We always want more. And that's the story with envy. It's all about more. It's not about enough. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a story. Um, two men, we'll call them Bill and Bob. Bill and Bob both own businesses right across the street from each other. They, they both run the exact same business. They're selling the exact same merchandise. And they're right across the street from each other. And um, Bill and Bob are always very jealous, very envious of each other. They, each one of them wants to make more money. They want to sell more product. They want to have the bigger, better business. So they're all the time fighting and bickering about whose business is better. Well, one day, and you'll know this is a, a fairy tale now, but one day Bill finds a, a magic genie lamp. <laughs> a magic genie lamp in his, uh, in his storage building. And he pulls it out and he rubs the lamp and out comes Will Smith. And uh, <laughs> um, so Bill... <laughs> Or Robin Williams, whichever one you want. So Bill, Bill says to Will Smith, he says, well, you're really, you're, you're real. And, and the genie says, yes, and I'm going to give you one wish, whatever you want. It could be anything. I'll give it all to you. And Bill knows exactly what he's about to ask for. And then the genie says, but there's one caveat, one catch. Whatever I give to you, I'm going to give Bob double. And Bill says, wait a minute, what? He says, yeah, if you want a million dollars, you got it. Bob gets two million. You want to double your business? Great. You got it. Bob's going to quadruple his business. You want to open five new stores? That's awesome. Bob's going to get ten. So what would you like for me to do? And Bill's envious heart thinks, what could I do? And he says, I know. Here's what I want. Jeannie, I want you to give me one blind eye. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what's at the bottom of envy. Is it's not just about climbing higher. It's about I want to climb higher so long as I can pull him down. I want to climb up on his shoulders. I want to get up over his back. And here's the thing about envy. It's not about getting high. It's about getting higher. It's always a comparison battle. It's always, what can I do to be better? It's not just about being good, it's about being better. That's the quest of envy. It's always about more. There's a scripture in Romans 12. Don't you love our kids? <laughs> I do, I, I love our children. Um, there's, a, there's a scripture in Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. Everybody listen in real, real carefully. I, look, I know we got noise. It's, it's fine. Okay, if you can listen, I can talk. Romans chapter 12. Here's what it says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. But the power of envy in your heart, here's what it does. Is it flips that on its head. And what we end up doing at, with envious hearts is we end up rejoicing when they are weeping. And we end up weeping when they are rejoicing. What I mean is, when he's successful, I'm mad about it. When he's doing well, it upsets me. When he gets sick, or when he gets hurt, or when things go poorly for him, it makes me happy. Um, this is the way that envy works. Envy's always about more 
never about enough. I want you to make a statement with me really loud. Here's how it is. Christ is enough. You ready? Say it. Christ is enough. That's the truth to combat the lie. I love this morning our prayer time. Uh, one, of, one of our friends here shared this morning that whenever I find myself believing a lie, I, I find the truth and I just write them down side by side. And I say, no, that's what I'm going to believe. I love that. Here's the lie. Envy says you need more. And the truth is Christ is enough. Say it. Christ is enough. That's the truth that pushes back the lie of envy. So when we look at Haman, what we begin to see in in verse 9 is that he's joyful and glad of heart. And yet, all that is ruined by one little thing. He wants Mordecai to bow down as well. He's not satisfied with all these other people bowing down to him. He wants more. Um, What I want us to know is that the fuel of envy, the fuel, the the engine of envy runs on the fuel of comparison. Do y'all know that? The engine of envy runs on the fuel of comparison. And in a world of social media with Facebook and Instagram and uh, all the others, Snapchat and all that, all of these, all of these social media Things, what they do is they get us to compare ourselves to one another. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're thinking about Haman and you're like, well, I don't really want anybody to bow down and worship me, so this is not my story. It is your story. Let me tell you how. Maybe, suppose a buddy of yours posted a picture of a brand new truck that he just bought. Well, yours is 14 years old. It leaks a little bit of oil. The paint's peeling. You got to... In order to get the heater to come on, you've got to actually kick the dash in just the right spot. But just this week, you were saying, this old truck, she's got me by for so long. Then you saw that picture. Now you hate your truck and you want his truck. This is envy. Or maybe maybe she posts a picture of um, her Pinterest-worthy dessert. She's just made apple fritters. And she's holding them up, you know, for you to see on, on her Pinterest-worthy social post. And you got your apple fritters, but you're not looking at the apple fritters. You're looking past them to her uh, newly painted cabinets, her fresh countertops, those Joanna Gaines pendant lights that are hanging in the background, even the little letterboard sign on the back that says, Life is happy. <laughs> and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, you're looking at this picture and you're like, I hate her apple fritters. (laughs) This is envy. Or maybe this time of year, you know, we're all sending Christmas cards and family photos and everybody's getting, oh, look how pretty. And you're looking at all the pretty pictures of everybody's family. And it's like, oh, dad is, he's just beautiful, handsome man. He's got all of his hair. Mom is like perfectly dressed the children are all matching even the dog is smiling but when you go to take family photos it's like trying to wrangle cats right you can't get them together and the children they're not gonna smile you got one that's holding their face for years i we we didn't know what reagan's face looked like in a photo we just couldn't so when you when you compare you say why can't my family be like that family they look so perfect and we are so not 
This is envy. Or, or maybe it's more serious for you. Maybe you find yourself in the spot where you're always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And you've been waiting and praying for years for a husband and it just hasn't happened. And just to open the closet and see all those dresses brings such pain to your heart. What should be a celebration for someone else, you can't celebrate because it's something you want so badly. It's just a, all it does for you is tell you a story of your own failure. This is, this is envy. This is the fruit, the ugly fruit of envy. Or maybe you, you scroll your social media feed and here's another video of yet another baby gender reveal. And you've tried and tried and tried for years to have a baby and you just can't. And so what's meant to be this beautiful celebration brings ache, heartache and pain to your heart. And I want you to know this is envy. And it's ugly. It's painful. And there are many more. We could, we could go on and on and on and on and on. But I wanted, I wanted to give you some examples so that you say, you know what? That is my heart. That is my heart. And it's not pretty. Researchers actually surveyed college students. They did this huge uh, research. They did uh, two, two campuses. They got the students to spend exclusively 30 minutes uh, on social media looking exclusively at photos and videos of their peers. And what they found is that after only half an hour, the students that stared at their peers and all the, all the good-looking photos and imagery... They marked on their response sheet that they felt, um, let me look, what was the quote? They felt significantly depressed. 30-something percent said they felt significantly depressed after looking at social media. Do you know that social media fuels your envy? And the reason it does is because envy feeds on comparison. So we can get to the root. Let's just trace a few thoughts. Here they are. Got some blanks for you if you picked up one of our study guides on your way in. Here they are. Can y'all listen over that? Okay. All right. Envy denies God's goodness. Envy denies God's goodness. At its heart, here's what it says. God can't be good because they have it better. God can't be good to me because they have it better. So envy denies the goodness of God. Secondly, envy denies God's grace. Here's what it says. Looking at this other person, envy says, I deserve that more. And it talks in terms of earning and what I deserve or don't deserve. That envy denies God's grace. Here's the thing, church. Everything you have is because of His grace. Everything you celebrate about you is because of His grace. James chapter 1, 17, verse 17 says this, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, from the Father of lights. How many good things are not from above? None. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, from God. And envy denies grace. It says, I deserve it more. What it's it's saying is, everything that I have that's good, 
I've gotten it for myself. And I deserve what they have too. Thirdly, envy rejects God's being God. Here's what I mean. When we look at what others have that we want, ultimately what we end up saying in a heart of envy is, God, I don't like what you're doing. Move over. I'm taking over. That's where envy takes us. God, I don't like that you haven't sent me a husband yet. Move over. I'm going to sign up for every dating app they got. (laughs) Or whatever. God, I, I don't like that you haven't done fill in the blank for me. So move over. I can handle this. This is what envy does. And when we, when we boil it down, envy boils down to a rejection of God. That's why he takes it so seriously. A rejection of God and a presumption that we actually know better than he does. Envy equals idolatry. Envy equals idolatry. What we're saying in a heart of envy is I would rather be God. I'd rather be my own God. I get what I want when I want it. No more keeping it from me. Believe it or not, this was a part of the game in the garden. Adam and Eve, that was the temptation. Remember the the enemy, Satan came to them and he said, God's not good. He's actually keeping something from you. That one tree, that one tree with with the fruit you're not supposed to eat, if you eat it, you'll be just like God. This was the game from the beginning and it always has been. The enemy plays on our heart's desire for more. When the reality is Christ is what? That's right. That's the truth. Christ is enough. So from Haman's life, here's what we see. Let me give you two main points from Haman's life. Firstly, envy steals your joy. Envy steals your joy. Here's what we see. The good things lose their worth. In chapter 5, verse 13, it says, I've got all these good things and yet all this is worth nothing to me. Haman says, everything I have, all the goodness that God has given is worth nothing because I still want more. Envy steals your joy. You can't even celebrate the goodness that God has given. It steals your joy. Secondly, uh, on, on steals your joy, happiness, we start to think that our happiness depends on that next thing. Our happiness seems to depend on the next thing. Um, this reminded me of a story about Jacob and Rachel. And there was a season in time where Rachel was not able to have children. And she was very, very frustrated, angry, and envious of her sister Leah, whom Jacob had had several children with. And in Genesis chapter 30, in verse 1, she makes a startling, startling statement. I want to read it to you because it's just so powerful. Genesis chapter 30. In verse 1, it says, When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, look at this, Give me children or I shall die. Look at the 
the effects, the fruit of envy, what it does to your joy. She doesn't even want to live unless she has this thing that seems out of reach for her. She's chasing the wind and it has stolen her joy. Secondly, an effect, a fruit, an ugly, sinful fruit of envy is this. Envy, remember we said it rots the bones. That's what the proverb says. Well, we're going to say it rots your relationships. Envy rots your relationships. I just want to point out two things that happen in this text. There's many more here. But uh, James chapter 3, verse 16, it says that where envy is, there's all kinds of dissension and evil practice. All kinds of evil. Where there's envy, there's all kinds of evil. (coughs) In this text, we see that Haman is comparing himself to others. Chapter 5, verse 12. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king. There's this comparison. No one but me. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of King Saul with David. David had won a lot of battles and there was a song the people were singing. Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And when that song began to be the, the song of the people, envy rose up in the heart of King Saul. And from that day onward, he plotted to kill David. Comparison. No one but me. It's this, this comparison, sideways comparing. The reality of um, comparison is it should only be this way. This is the right way to posture ourselves. Is when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we realize who we are and it humbles us. It puts us in the right perspective. When we compare ourselves this way, we are either prideful or pitiful. Does that make sense? You look across and you either think I'm better and so you're prideful. Or you think I'm worse and you're full of insecurity and pity. This horizontal comparison is damaging to your relationships. The second thing, complaining. What do we see that Haman does? Haman calls his friends and his wife in. And this is what he says. He recounted to them all the good things that that are in his life. And then he says, and yet it's all worth nothing to me. And what the people that receive his complaining... Do they give him a good plan forward? What's the plan that they suggest? You know what you should do? Go build a a gallows. We don't use that word much, but that's where people are hanged to death. Go build your own gallows and let's just hang Mordecai. Oh, you're upset about that? I'll tell you what a good idea is. Murder. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how envy... And complaining builds a plan, a plot for murder. That may seem far-fetched, but it's not. The Bible talks constantly about how envy and hating one another are wrapped up together. In Titus chapter 3, that's exactly what it says. It says, we were among those who battled with envy, hated and hating one another. Envy and hatred are married. Alright. In complaining, he vented to his friends and his wife. And here's the thing. The soil that welcomes complaining brings forth fruit 
of ugly hatred and envy and murder. So we shouldn't give ear to grumbling and complaining. We certainly shouldn't be complainers. Now, what's the rescue? Let's go to the best point of the day. The good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus rescues us from our envy. Jesus rescues us from our envy. We've talked about the gospel in a short little phrase these last several weeks, and I hope you remember it. Here it is. Bad people can be made right, but with a good God through Jesus Christ. Can we just say that together? Ready? Bad people can be made right with a good God through Jesus Christ. Very simple gospel explanation. And here's how it combats against our envious hearts. Here it is. Let's just take them piece by piece. Bad people. I'm a bad person. You are a bad person. Where envy lies to me and tells me what I deserve, the gospel tells me God doesn't give me what I deserve. In Jesus, He's given me grace. I deserve hell and separation from God. But because of Jesus, He has offered me salvation. So I don't deserve anything. Every good thing I get is from the Father and I should be thankful. Gratitude is a guardian of the heart. Let's practice that this week. It would be a a great thing for you to practice gratitude this week with your family. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? I want us to see and savor Jesus as the ultimate portrait of grace. Secondly, so bad people, we're not good. We don't deserve it. Secondly, God has done more for us than any of us deserve. He has made us right with Himself. That means He took on your sin and gave you His righteousness. He took on your sin and gave you His righteousness. But God's goodness... His making us right isn't just about saving us for eternity. It's about showing us that He's the ultimate treasure today. And He wants you to know that you can have unwavering contentment in Him. Listen to that statement. Don't be distracted right here. Listen. Jesus wants you to know you can have unwavering contentment in Christ. Because Christ is what? Enough. Christ is enough. Paul wrote Philippians 4. We quote this this verse all the time. You see it on athletes' eye black. And here's what it is. Philippians 4.13. For I can do all things through Christ who what? Now here's the thing about that verse. It doesn't mean Christ is your spinach. You eat Him and you get big muscles like Popeye. And you can play better football. That's not what that verse means. When we read it in context, we see Paul says... I've learned the secret to being content with much and with little. And he says the secret to contentment is Christ. Because Christ is what? Enough. I don't need more because Christ is enough. Bad people can be made right with a good God. Envy tells us God isn't good. He's keeping something from me. He's giving it to them. But the truth is that God is good. He's so good that He's made us uniquely different. Listen, there are some ways that people around you are better than you. I want you to hear this. This is important. 
I'm so thankful that my wife is better than me at some things. Because that makes our marriage better. She compliments my weaknesses and vice versa. God has created us distinctly different because we're meant to be dependent on Him and interdependent on each other. God has made us different so that we need each other, not so that we'll hate each other. We shouldn't hate that He's better than me. I should be thankful that God's made Him better in that way. Because there's another way in which I'm better. God's made me better at this. I don't have to look at Him and want what He has. I can be thankful for God's goodness in me. God is good. And His varied grace is actually a beautiful thing. Every blessing. This is lastly about the Gospel. Every blessing we have points us to Jesus Christ. Matthew 13, 44, there's a quick parable. It just says, um, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man uh, found a treasure in a field. And he sold everything that he had and he bought that field. And here's the point of the parable. Jesus is the treasure. And everything else is worth losing to have Him. We were talking this morning, praying together and struggling with the loss of a loved one, uh, a little bit of grief in the room, and, and the Lord is able to turn that to celebration because even though we've lost someone, we celebrate that they're not lost. Paul says it this way, For to me to live is Jesus Christ and to die is what? Gain. Because in death, I get God. As a believer, when we die, we get God. And the point is that Jesus Christ is the treasure. And this world wants to lie to you with many little trinkets and toys and think you've got to have them. But you don't need more. You need Jesus. Because Christ is enough. Today, I want us to say with Paul and affirm with Paul that the secret to our contentment is Jesus. The secret to my contentment is Jesus. When I get out and get in that little car that smokes when I run down the road, the reason I'm not bitter about it is because i got Jesus. When I go home and the light switch doesn't work and there's stuff that needs to be fixed, I can be content because I've got Jesus. And on and on it goes. All the things that get at your envy, fight it with the truth that I don't need all that. I don't need more. I've got Jesus. And Christ is is enough. So this morning and this week, let's be people with grateful hearts. Thanksgiving is upon us. Let's be people with grateful hearts. Let's pull up envy by the roots. Let's pull it up by the roots. And let's say to our hearts and those around us, I don't need more because Christ is enough.